Curiosity is not a sin, Harry, but you should exercise caution. He's a time strand. You're fraternizing with the enemy. There's the, um, the Cruciatus curse. We'll celebrate a boy who is kind and honest and brave and true right to the very end. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We're doing chapter six, the port key, and we have Julie back with us. Hi everybody. It's been a minute. I know, it's been a little too long. And I think the last time you were on was a Quidditch-related episode, yes? yes? (laughs) So, uh, with this uh, chapter, uh, the port key is essentially telling us this is all going to be transportation to the Quidditch World Cup. So basically, uh, we get an early start. Which is just awful. I think you and I had the same note here. This is just the worst. The worst. It does not matter, like, where you're going or what you're doing. Like, waking up early in the morning to go anywhere, whether it's, like, vacation or, like, going to the DMV. Like, it does not matter if it's great or terrible. Like, it is the worst waking up better. I feel like they were only tolerant of this because they were headed to the Quidditch World Cup. I mean, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it's like also followed by a, I would assume a later night of like dinner and party and I assume it went later. I mean, I would think so, but at that point like adrenaline has like hit you and you're like good to go. Yeah. So early morning wake up and then there's some awkward goodbyes happening at the borough. Because Molly is still not cool with the twins, uh, especially when she finds them uh, smuggling out more of their toffees that they invented, mm-hmm. uh, which they drop subtly and very coolly that they've spent six months developing that ton-tongue toffee that they had, which, good for them for dedicating I mean, themselves to that much. that's straight-up dedication. And, like, especially when you think about the twins in general, that they're kind of like... Yeah, whatever about school. Like, I mean, it makes sense that if they're going to dedicate their time and mental capacity to something, it's going to be a prank. But, Mm -hmm. like, I don't think that you really ever think of Fred and George as long-term planners. Yeah, yeah. You think of them as more, like, in the moment. In the moment, kind of off the cuff. Hey, whatever, this makes sense. But, no, they're really spending a lot of time and energy on these, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. Uh, We have a lot of talk about how people are getting to the Quidditch World Cup. Uh, which we'll talk about in a second. We have what the setup of the Quidditch World Cup is. They're talking about how it's such a monumental task to hide all of this when you have over 100,000 wizards descending on one place. How are they going to do it? And they've decided to set it on a deserted moor uh, with many anti-muggle protections. And it took the Ministry of Magic months to set this up, which is quite substantial. Um, Cheaper ticket holders have to arrive two weeks before, which is a whole thing. That is, like, straight-up dedication. (sighs) I don't know if there's, like, anything that I would be like, okay, I will get there two weeks in advance and have nosebleed seats. It's not like you have, like, two weeks in advance and you're sitting, like, front row, so you're like, yes, I'm going to spend two weeks hyping myself up. Like, no, you're spending two weeks to, like... I mean, I guess it's Quidditch, so even if you're all the way in the back, like... I mean, so this would... We're on the cusp now of the actual real-life World Cup happening in November uh, in the real world. And I'm wondering when people are starting to show up for that World Cup. 
Well, I mean, I get if you're going to the location and, like, you're making a vacation, vacation out, of it. out of it. Like, if you're traveling to London and you're like, okay, I have this thing two weeks from now, but I'm getting there two weeks early and I'm going to go around London, like, makes sense. For us, but, for people living in the London well, area. Yeah. Like, if you're in Liverpool going to well, London. Well, and also, you're in the middle of a moor. Like, you're getting there two weeks early just to be, like... In the middle of nowhere and twiddle your thumbs, like... <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's it's harsh. It's a little harsh. I can't imagine going, like, the Super Bowl two weeks early. No. <laughs> I don't need that. Um, 200 port keys have been placed around Britain, and port keys being, like, these ordinary, mundane, trash-like things. Yeah. So, in this chapter, we get uh, what's described as a manky old boot. Which, how do you find your port key because if you notice in the chapter it's not like they say they tell you what time and the location but they're mm-hmm. not like look for a boot could you imagine right. if you happen to be somewhere where like a bunch of people have just been throwing their random trash and you're like is it this gum wrapper is it a boot is it the broken tennis racket like how do you figure this out other than like a wild guess you're hoping it's in the case of the weasleys here where it's like a one random boot on like a hilltop which should be relatively pure. If you're in like a cityscape, <laughs> you're screwed. There could be like there. a piece of paper or whatever anywhere. Yeah. Like that'd be awful. Well, and also, what happens if you miss the port key? Because obviously, like, there's a very specific time, yep. and they're standing around, they're checking the watch, and what happens though? Because they ask, like, oh, do we have everybody? But what happens if you're late? It's not like you can say, like, oh, hold the port key. Right. And, like, we find out later that it's not like the port key goes back. They collect them all. Yeah, it's a very, to their credit, it's a very regimented process. Where they have it, like, everything's recorded, everything is completely written down and put away to the side. So I'd assume you just have to get there, like, the old-fashioned way. I mean, at least you have two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Right. At least you have some time. Uh, but yeah, so we get a little bit of a setup for the Quidditch World Cup. Uh, we meet a, one new character. Um, we meet Amos Diggory, who is the father of Cedric Diggory, who we met in Prisoner of Azkaban. He's the captain of the Hufflepuff Quidditch team. Um, so Harry knows him quite well. The twins are not exactly pleased to see him since the last time they saw him. Understandable. He beat them. Um... <laughs> Which is a whole dynamic that we can get into, because Julie had some hot takes on Cedric last time, so we'll get into her thoughts. But anyway, um, yeah, so this magic transportation, we just talked about Porky's for a little bit. Uh, We learned that most adults are apparating to and from the World Cup. Uh, We get Bill, Charlie, and Percy are allowed to sleep in because they will just literally pop out and pop into existence instantaneously at the location. Um, but we also learn apparating without a license is illegal and dangerous. Splinching may occur. Splinching well, is defined. Uh, well, they don't really define it. They just give an example of a couple left half of themselves behind when they did it illegally. Half of themselves. That can't be pretty. Like, they give, they say that the muggles, the spotted body parts that were left behind. I'm sure that took quite a... Well, and it's like, you also have to wonder, like, okay, by half of the body parts, is it like you're seeing a Picasso painting? That's true. They don't specify. Yeah. Like, are you split down the middle or is it 
like literally random body parts because doesn't I mean, Harry say he envisions like a leg and arm and an eye yeah that's what I'm the, saying like imagine you see that I feel like that's a little bit creepier than like half I mean either way you're gonna be freaked out yes but like if you just see like seven random body parts on the ground how violent is it because if you're split you is there like blood is it a gory thing or is it just just like held in time and like yeah i would assume that one since it's not like they said that they needed like medical attention there's only one example i can think of but it is a spoiler yeah so we'll have to come back to that in the spoiler section but um yeah it just makes me think like if you were trying to get to the world cup and you were an adult which form of transportation would you prefer? We've, got, we've seen a couple already. We've seen apparition, we've seen flu powder, we've seen port keys, and we've seen, obviously, broomstick and flying. Okay, apparition. There's no argument about this. Why do you say that, though? Okay, with a blink of your eye, you can get anywhere in the world other than inside the Hogwarts grounds. But, like, come on, nothing else can compare to that. The instantaneous Room. effect of it. Slow. Flu powder. You cannot wear a good outfit that day. You're going to be <laughs> covered point. in soot. Point. And, like, you can end up in the wrong fireplace. And if you don't have flu powder with you, then how do you get back? Or a broom that just, like, don't get me wrong. A broom sounds super fun, but super slow. And if you're trying to make sure that muggles don't see you. You have to fly at a really high altitude. Which yeah. would be very cold, very uncomfortable. And from reading what it's like to use a port key, not a big fan of that idea either. That sounds nauseating. It does sound like an experience. <laughs> that whole like hook behind your like navel yeah, of getting tugged. Not here for it. Um, There's only one correct answer, and I'm sure someone will disagree with me. Doesn't it say though that the, the two adults, so everybody ends up collapsing on the ground. Except for Amos, Arthur, and Cedric. Cedric, right? Who seem to just be like, okay, whatever, this was yeah. cool. I'm assuming that means that he's used it before. I still get the obnoxious picture of the movie where they do this port key and then they all collapse on the ground and then there's the three of them just like running in place in the <laughs> yeah. air as they float gently back <laughs> to the ground. And they're all just like, that was fun. Why, yeah. why didn't you guys do that? It's ridiculous. Um, I would agree with you, Apparition, for me, being a big traveler, it's very nice to be like, if I could just pop out and reappear somewhere completely else, miles away, that'd be uh-huh. really freaking cool. Uh, I agree with your flu powder assessment. <laughs> the logistics of that are just not great. Uh, or what if there's not a fireplace? Yeah, well, like Arthur found out, it's like, that doesn't always work all the time, as much as he would like it to. Uh, but... Broom could be interesting if it's a nice... I mean, this is still late July, August. Presumably the weather is still good. You're not dealing with frigidly cold temperatures. Maybe you can get away with that. Nope, no argument. Nope, okay. (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah, I I wouldn't mind a port key either. It's just an intriguing idea. It's something you have to try, I think. Okay, I'll give you that. I feel like... As a new witcher wizard, you should try all the modes of transportation. But if you don't come to the same answer, you're just wrong. <laughs> Fair enough. I think, uh, so we know that 
port keys are obviously registered because they kept very strict control of yep. those. We know flu powder is regulated from the um, from Arthur having to literally apply to have a flu powder network yeah. put in the Dursleys. So we know those two are fairly well controlled. Brooms are obviously wide open. And apparition, you obviously have to have a license. You have to be mm-hmm. licensed to apparate. Um, so if you have some legal issues, <laughs> maybe brooms are the best route. You're trying to sneak your way into the Quidditch World Cup. But anyway, um, we do learn that Charlie failed his apparition test the first time, ending up five miles away from where he meant to and upon a poor person's head is the impression that I got of him literally landing upon yeah. someone. <laughs> I also love like Molly's reaction to it where she's like, okay, but he passed it the second time. Like, calm down. <laughs> it's kind of nice to know that Charlie's not perfect at everything he does. Yeah. Uh, but he's near perfect, I guess, still. Um, but Percy likes to flaunt that he passed his first time. Okay, but who wouldn't? If you just learned how to magically appear somewhere without even having to take a step, wouldn't you apparate everywhere? 100%. Like at least, like, they mentioned know, he's month. literally apparating from his room down to breakfast every morning. Okay, 1,000% would do that for at least the first month. <laughs> Fair enough. I feel like, in his case specifically, when you have two older brothers that are as accomplished as they are, in a magical family, I'd be less willing to just be like, I passed my test, it was awesome! And they're just like... Man, I break curses, and I work with dragons. Like, you passing an apparition test is, l- like, whatever, I man. I think he's doing it to, like, show off to his older brothers. I think he's doing it to flaunt it to all of, like, the younger siblings. Since he's, like, very by the rules, prim, proper. Look at my, oh, no, I got, like, a 99.9% on something. One like, more thing I'm better than you guys at yeah, kind of thing? Yeah, I think probably. it's that. And also, like, I feel like even if you're a witch or a wizard, um, like born and raised, I feel like there's still gotta be something cool about the fact that you can just transport yourself. And I think that's like also seeing a little bit of Percy's like more childish side of the like, yep, this is cool. I can go down to breakfast. I think he's in that same stage He's not that far off from Ron, and he's, like, trying to prove himself constantly, because yeah. he is living under the Bill and Charlie, and Arthur, for that matter, who's yeah. working at the Ministry, their shadows of trying to prove himself, prove himself. He's just further along than maybe Ron is, <laughs> and, and the twins just don't care one way or the other. And obviously, they have their ambitions aside, mm-hmm. so they have their own things. But anyway, speaking of ambition, uh, Amos Diggory is a certain kind of dude. He's, That's a way to put it. <laughs> he's a certain kind of dude. So he works for the Department for the Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures. Uh, and as everyone is, fascinated by Harry. But he takes literally no time to start bragging about his son. He just goes on and on about how great Cedric is and how great of a Quidditch player he is because he beat the famous Harry Potter. So mm-hmm. clearly Harry can't be that good. And then they point out, Cedric, I think, points out, well, he fell off his broom. It wasn't exactly fair. Well, if one person falls off their broom, clearly one's a better flyer. Right. So I believe uh, you were a harsh critic of Cedric last yes. time. And we see a very clear personality difference between him and his dad here. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of want to get your two cents on the whole thing. Okay. Well, I mean, like, first of all, Amos is 
clearly very big on bragging, very big on showing people up. Um, I feel like one of the interesting things is that he keeps trying to, like, best Harry Potter. When it's like, all right, but he still defeated Voldemort when he was a baby, but... Right, you can't really one-up okay. that. Um, and it kind of makes me wonder if part of the reason why Cedric is, like, super humble, whether it's fake or not, um, is partially because, like, his dad is always trying to, like, be the best show-off and is putting all of this on to Cedric. And Cedric's like, all right, like, Dad, it's cool. I just wanted to play Quidditch. And I happen to be okay at it. Like, no, Dad, like, he fell off his broom. Like, I told you. Nope, it doesn't mean that he's a bad flyer. Like, I feel like it's almost like in this specific scene, it's more of, like, a deflecting and a, like, oh, my God, could you stop, Dad? I still firmly believe that Cedric is not as great as everyone thinks he is. And um, that even him trying to, like, give up the match is a little... I don't know, him trying to be a good person. I think he is a somewhat good person, but he's not as great as everyone. You say that so confidently, like, (laughs) seems like Cedric's a good person, and you're not saying he isn't, but you're skirting that line. (laughs) Listen, I'm not saying that he deserves to be in Slytherin or anything, but, sorry, all Slytherins listening, but (laughs) Uh, I'm still not Team Cedric. I think this is another great example because the last time we talked about him was when he tried to uh, backtrack on that win that yes. his house won. However unfortunate, it was fair by the rules that are set forth, which is what Oliver Wood decided. He's like, ah, I want to take him up on it, but whatever, it, it is what it is. I feel like this is another example of like you have, and I, again, I work in high school sports. Uh, not often do I, and I told you this at the time, not often do I see that level of sportsmanship on a daily basis. Uh, Very rarely, actually. (laughs) And two, often do I see a parent hyping their child uh, to nauseating levels. And most times the kid is like, can you just be quiet and let me prove it instead of you talking about me? Mm Mm-hmm. It, it's an interesting dynamic, and I feel like this is a little microcosm of, like, parent hovering over sports and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, which I hate uh, to a pretty high level, but if Cedric is as talented as Amos is saying, let, let him live his life and prove it in his own right. Well, and I also think that, like, when you're saying it in front of Harry Potter, who, like, you know... Harry fell off his broom. No one wants to relive that moment. No, it was a pretty bad moment for all, pretty much everybody that was there at that little meeting. Yeah. <laughs> like, Except for Amos. <laughs> yeah, even Cedric is like, I don't even want to talk about that yeah. game anymore. Like, stop that. And so it's like, the fact that you have, like, the balls to bring it up in front of Harry and be like, remember when my son beat you because you fell off your broom? So, Do you know how great my son is at Quidditch? Like, I feel like that's, like, next-level audacity. Like, I mean, you know more about, like, parent-student sport. Like, Oh, I hear all the time, oh, like, my child is a Division One athlete. He's going to go pro someday. And I just look at them like, really? 
Really? Like, be honest with yourself for just a minute. But here, Cedric is, by all accounts, very athletic, very talented, very smart. Mm-hmm. Maybe he could get to that next level, but just let him do it. Yeah. <laughs> like, let him be him. And that's probably why Cedric loves being at Hogwarts, because he's away from that and he could just do it. <laughs> but anyway. Anyway, I, I like this interaction because it's a little bit... You're learning more about who Cedric Diggory is as a person. Mm-hmm. And you're also learning where he's coming from, which might make his personality more impressive. I mm, I disagree a little bit on that. Shocker. Um, <laughs> but I have a point to prove myself in a second. But go ahead. <laughs> I kind of feel like who he is as like a person kind of is since his dad is so like oh, you're great, you're doing this, you're great, you're fantastic, you're amazing, you're better than everyone, that it's very easy for, like, Cedric to almost get, like, a complex about it, and not in a Malfoy way, where it's like, you're right, I am amazing, but in the way of being like, okay, like, I don't need a hype person, like, am I that great? Like, you're my parent, you have to think I'm amazing. Oh, there's a lot to unpack there. So... Welcome to therapy hour, everybody. Yeah, so... (laughs) The other way you could think about this, and uh, Julie, you and I were more academically based students, Mm -hmm. but there's the other pressure of like, you're going to be great. You're going to be good. You're going to be this great person. Now you're at school thinking like, man, I can't get a B on this test. I can't not pass this because I have this goal to get to that's being placed upon me. See, but I don't feel like that's, Cedric's like ML like he'll like revel in the moment when he feels that he's earned it but at the same time like he's very like okay but can I just kind of hang out and not have people like all over me like he's a little bit similar to Harry in that way I feel like I think they do have a lot of similarities a lot of positive similarities Mm -hmm. Uh, the other thing I was thinking you you brought up Draco and I feel like it's the opposite like hit like Amos (laughs) floods Cedric with love and adoration. Yeah. I don't think Draco gets that at home. Okay. I mean, fair point. Draco just figured it out by himself. I think Draco gets more of the, like, why aren't you doing as well as that mudblood Granger? Why aren't you doing as well as Harry Potter? Why aren't you doing as well? And now he's coming to school with that bravado of, like, I'm awesome, I'm this, because he doesn't get that at home. Whereas Cedric, on the flip side, is hearing all that, and he's like, I just want to be Cedric. Like, I just want to be, like, one of the students here. Yeah. Um, No matter how gifted or not that person is. It's, like I said, a lot to unpack. I would love to know what Amos is like at Hogwarts. Like, besides just what his house is, but also just, was he kind of, like, the random like wallflower at Hogwarts that he was always like you know not super smart but also wasn't like failing classes like he wasn't super popular but he wasn't but he still had like some friends and so he was always kind of like in the middle so then once you get your son who I mean when you look at the comparison of um like looks in the book Amos is described as ruddy faced whereas Cedric is described as handsome So it's like when you're looking at, you know, you have a son who is also dashingly handsome, is good at sports, is relatively smart, seems to be super popular, and then all of a sudden... You're living vicariously through your kid. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I'd be interested to know if it was a, like, 
was his dad star pupil, star athlete, and it's like you have to live up to my expectations? Or was it his dad didn't have any of those things and now he's like, oh my God, my son is having like a better life than me and he has to keep going and he's going to do great things, which I kind of think is more that one based on what we learn later in the book. Sure. I think, I think Amos is looking for, I mean, he works for the department of regulation and control magic. He works for the ministry. So he can't have been like a complete middle of the road student. Like he had to be fairly good. Yeah. Cedric seems to be on a better trajectory. Yeah. And obviously I think he lives through Cedric's accomplishments, which is never a good thing as a, as a parent. Um, be happy that they're successful. Don't base your, your self-worth on your child's accomplishments. That's never great. But anyway. So uh, we do learn of a couple more names, which we can get into a little bit more in the spoiler section. That live in the area. Uh, they mention that uh, the Lovegoods were in the area. The Fawcett's, Weasleys, and Diggory's all live in the same area. Obviously, the Weasleys and Diggory's are meeting now to go to the Port Key. Lovegoods, I believe, have been at the... For a week. For about a week. And then the Fawcett's couldn't get tickets. So uh, that's kind of the wizard's family setup there. So that's kind of... I, I'm surprised there were only, honestly, four wizarding families in this area you'd think there'd be more but whatever i also thought there'd be more than 200 port keys in britain but that's true you wonder well in britain by their use of britain not england i imagine those 200 port keys are spread throughout england wales scotland and northern ireland yeah that's what i'm trying to figure out like 200 at first you're like wow 200 but then when you think about like you know trains and buses in chicago and then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, there's no way that that is enough. I mean, there's other modes of transportation to get there, obviously, but it How, still seems... The only way I could think that they scored this port key relatively close, because it's, it's a hike, but a doable, obviously, hike, is that two of these people work for the Ministry of Magic. I mean, I feel like that's got to be it. And that's got to be it. Like, Because <laughs> why would some random hilltop where only four wizarding families live near, warrant a port key. Well, especially when you think about, like, the Weasleys' financial situation. Like, it's not like they're living in some, like, ritzy neighborhood where it's like, well, of course we can only have four right. families that would have this port key. Mm -hmm. Like, Yeah, it's an interesting setup. Yeah. But uh, we can get into some of those names uh, a little bit later in the spoilers, but... Yeah, any other kind of thoughts that you had on the non-spoiler? I think that's all I have for non-spoilers. we got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about in the spoiler section, <laughs> so let's just go there now. Uh, we'll take a short break, uh, we will not kill the spare, and we'll get right back to it. Kill the spare! Alright, we're back with the spoiler section of Chapter 6, The Port Key. And um, just to double back on something we talked about at the non-spoilers... Uh, this whole splinching and grotesqueness of it. Um, there's only one example that I could think of of splinching that we get, and that's in Deathly Hallows when Ron splinches mm -hmm. when they're trying to apparate out of the fireplace and then switching it up to Grimwald and then to the random woods, which I know Julie has a point on in a second. <laughs> we'll get there. Um, but... But when Ron splinched, there's blood everywhere. There was, like, chunks of him missing. 
uh, and Hermione has to do her best like first responder work to try to patch yeah. him up and make him good again. But it took a while for him to get back to normal. Mm-hmm. And part of that might have been the locket and the True. effects of that. But um, yeah, he had some issues with it. They keep it very PG in the description yeah. here. I feel like the description here is like, hey, this book is for young adults. And then all of a sudden you get to book seven. It's like, you've grown up now. Here's reality. Murder, torture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very much so. Yeah, but that was the one example I could think of where it got, like, very aggressive. Which I'm sure that happens because that would make sense. But anyway. Yeah. What are your thoughts kind of on some of these early chapters? I know I had the big hot take on chapter two, the scar being the worst chapter in the series. Okay. False. What you got? I can't give you a specific chapter, but I will come back to it. However, the entire seventh book exists. Harry Potter and the prolonged camping trip. Dan, there are multiple chapters that just talk about camping. Nothing develops the plot. Nothing has any little breadcrumbs. It's just, hey, we're camping and we're arguing with each other because of a locket. Fair. Or you have Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, also known as Harry Potter and the Teenage Angst. He, there's reasons for that angst, though. There's very real there reasons. There are for that reasons, angst. but I'm just saying. I think the camping argument is I think a it's better a bold, argument. Bold, bold statement. To I'll say, throw this back at you. All right, let's go. I'll throw this back at you. And since we're listing Harry Potter books, uh, we'll go Half Blood Prince, and chapter upon chapter of him just stalking Malfoy, <sighs> and watching him on a map is aggressive. So you are proving my point. No. That chapter two of the Goblet of Fire is not the worst chapter of the series. I still say it's the worst chapter because literally nothing is stated in that chapter that we don't already know. Like, there's no new information whatsoever. Yeah, but they're recalling the information every once in a while. I mean, you're on book four, Dan. You need to exactly. remind people of things. No. We don't, yes. need, we don't need Harry as a wizard and he's a special boy in book four. We get that in every book. Welcome to Harry Potter. We don't every need that. We have at least a half of a chapter to a full chapter of either Harry is a special boy and here's why. Oh, by the way, he's a wizard. Or of Harry going, I'm a special boy and a wizard and my life is terrible. Why me? Every single book, there's at least one chapter like that. Quit hating on it. No, go back and read chapter two. Go back and read chapter two and just be like, and tell me that your eyes don't glaze over a little bit. Reading chapter two. I'm okay, just like, but there is a chapter in almost every single book where the same thing happens and my eyes glaze over a little bit. It's part this of... This is the worst. Chapter two is it the is worst. It is part of the series, though. Every single... Any book series, there's always going to be at least one chapter in every book that reminds you of the things that have happened in the past because they need to bring it back because if someone read the books out of order for whatever reason or think about when you were reading... Back when we were reading these books... It's when like, you had to wait three years for a book to come out, you might not have read the past ones. Think about this in a different context. Think about the Marvel movies right now. We're at like number 30 on Marvel movies, mm-hmm. right? And Marvel doesn't do a full recap on the MCU prior to this movie. They're just like, if you didn't read it or you didn't watch it, that's on you. And we're that's moving a forward. movie, not a book. It still takes hours to read these books. These this just... 700 something pages. <laughs> It's not a brief, pick it up, put it down. I'm not saying that it is. I'm just 
saying that in every single book series, there's always some type of chapter that, like, brings you back, that you read, that you're like, okay, like, I already know this. Why are we talking about this? It happens in every book. I'm sure that in some, like, book writing class that's taught, they tell you to put that in there so that people remember. All right. What's my hottest hot take then? Trelawney <laughs> is unfairly judged or chapter two of Goblet of Fire is the worst chapter. What's the hottest hot take? Right now, chapter two, because I can kind of understand where you're coming with with Trelawney. I will take that and we'll move on. All right. <laughs> So you do like Goblet of Fire as a whole. I I do, I do as well. I, I love this book as a whole. Um, what are some of your thoughts and, and favorite parts? So Goblet of Fire is actually my second favorite book in the series. As we all know, Prisoner of Azkaban is my favorite. Um, but one of the things that I really love about this book is since we're now at the point where we're farther along in, like, we don't need as much of the exposition. We don't need as much of the, like, Let's spend 10 pages describing what the Dursleys do on a day, or let's describe what Hogwarts looks like. There's a lot more of the little details and the stuff that like, do you need to know it? No. Do you want to know it? Absolutely. And I feel like once you start getting into these books, I mean, maybe it's because these books are, you know, the size of the first three books combined. Um, but you get a lot more information and detail, and I feel like it gets a lot more immersive as well. Um, and I also like that these books get a little bit more um, ominous, I guess. Okay. Like, when you think about the beginning of Goblet of Fire, the first chapter, like, the whole chapter, like barely has anything to do with Harry. You're learning about yeah. a house and like you're spending the whole time going, okay, like. I'm not going to blabber this because we just had a huge <laughs> argument about it. But that's part of the reason why chapter two doesn't work for me is because you get immersed in this chapter and you buy in. You're like, oh, mm -hmm. this first chapter is so intriguing to me. And then you take like 10 steps backwards in the next chapter. I'm like, can we just continue on? <laughs> like, what are we doing? But I think that also helps bring you back into like, the reality of the book, not that the first chapter isn't like the reality of the book, but like the story is about Harry. And while it's not written in like first person, like it's from his perspective, like, it's yeah. from his perspective. Yeah. And so when you think about it, you're still talking about someone who's 14 years old. So like, yeah, there is going to be an entire chapter talking about how he's a wizard and a special boy. My scar hurts, but not as much as the time that I broke my arm playing Quidditch and I had to regrow it. And... But I like that in this book we get a little bit more of Harry's scar hurting when there's no presence of Voldemort. Like, I feel like in the past books that doesn't really... We don't really have, like, the dreams that make the scar hurt as much. You get the dreams that make the scar hurt, and then you get Sirius sending letters by Tropical Bird. That's all you get in that <laughs> chapter. And the most I want to know more about is the Sirius sending notes by <laughs> Tropical Bird. That's what I really want to delve into. Uh, we anyway. can delve into that. But, <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> but I like that these books, since they get, like, they get bigger because there's more story to tell obviously but they get bigger and they get more immersive and you get more details that 
aren't necessarily necessary. Like, did I need to know about the tropical bird? No. But do I like knowing that Sirius is on a beach somewhere? Like, probably sipping a pina colada? Absolutely. You don't think he's in, like, the north of Norway and just stole, like, a macaw from a zoo or no. something like that? No, you think he's, yeah. like, actually in the rainforest He is somewhere? a buffalo... Not a buffalo. <laughs> 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 he's not going to break the law. He's and not the love from, from the Sirius law. makes itself very apparent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so there's some interesting things throughout this book. I, I've asked Molly this, um, and I'll ask you, are you a fan of the Yule Ball or not? I've heard contradicting theories. I, I'm, like, indifferent about it. I kind of like the idea of the Yule Ball, I guess. I think... The main issue that I have with it is it's like, it's this one-time thing, well, at least for the students who are currently at Hogwarts, it's like this one-time thing. I mean, I guess it's their equivalent of prom. That's what I think of every time, is that it's essentially like, J.K. Rowling wanted to put prom at Hogwarts, but didn't know how to say, like, Hogwarts has a prom without being laughed at, so the Yule Ball. Fair enough. I'm okay with you all. I think it's fine. It's fine. It's, it's, uh, I'm it's another I'm neither wrinkle. here nor there about it. I can't say that I've had strong opinions on it. Well, before we end the spoiler section, I did want to double back onto some of these names that we get um, in this chapter. The Obviously the Weasleys and the Diggories, but the Fawcett's and the Lovegoods. Uh, I wanted to specifically focus on, if you've read the series before, the love goods. Um, they kind of they kind of play a little role in the series, just a little bit. So they don't mention first names, so you don't get Xenophilius and you don't get Luna. Yeah. I didn't honestly when I was reading this, and I saw like, oh yeah, the love goods like went like a week ago, and I was like, wait, what? Like this name pops up here? I didn't remember I... that at all. Did not remember that either, but then rereading it and seeing that name, I literally have a note written down. Were they there for a week by choice? Um, or because they had the cheapest seats, but like knowing how little um, loony, shall we say, the love goods are, like, did they get there a week early because they wanted to? Or, like, I know that the Weasleys got better seats because of... I'm surprised they didn't go, like, a month early yeah. for, like, the solstice or something <laughs> right? like that. That's what like... I'm saying. Like, yeah. I know that the, like, there's a comment made in the next chapter that the Weasleys got, like, quote-unquote, good seats because of Ludo Bagman. So does that mean that, like, the Weasleys don't have, like, terrible, terrible seats? Like, did the Lovegoods have worse seats? The impression I got I don't know why is, this matters, but it just, it bothered me a little bit. I wanted to know. The impression I got was they got worse seats, but not the worst seats. So, like, somewhere middle range. Yeah. Um, and as we know, Xenophilius runs his own business. He's, he has the quibbler. Mm-hmm. As far as we know, the number one competition to the prophet, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> I'm not sure of other wizarding magazines or paraphernalia, but... Whatever. Which weekly? Fair enough. Uh, I will still put the quibbler as number two ahead of which weekly. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah. So you get a you get a love good mention here, in the, uh, which 
also gives you a, an idea to Xenophilus's clout because he was able to score tickets and mm-hmm. not affiliated with the ministry. Yeah. Like Amos and Arthur, well, they were insiders from the beginning. Yeah. So no shocking thing that they got tickets, but Xenophilus was able to score some. Which as opposed to I would like to know how difficult was it for any witcher wizard to get tickets to the World Cup? I imagine it was insanely, because you have people coming from all over the world. Yeah. I mean, you have people coming from all over the world, but, like, are you getting, you know, do you have to work at the ministry to get tickets first? Or, like, I want to know how that works. Is it, like, tickets allowed? uh, (laughs) We're putting a lot of practical nature into this. (laughs) But I would assume it's, like, the Ministry of Magic in Britain has all of the tickets. And then they're in charge of distributing said tickets to different places. So you have... Do you have to send an owl? So does it depend on whose owl is the fastest? Maybe. <laughs> but I would assume they'd have to, like, allot tickets to, like, certain ministries of magic and be like, okay, the ministry in America gets this many tickets to possibly give out, or the ministry... And then you have the countries that are involved. I imagine a certain amount has to go to Ireland and Bulgaria here. Yeah. And then everybody else after that i don't know and then there's the whole thing like this is the quidditch world cup meaning that these two teams weren't the only two teams in the world cup like there were presumably many nations vying for this yeah. thing and it's whittled down to these two but um were those played in britain because usually in a world cup all of those matches take place in the host country so was it like uganda versus america like this in like june or whatever to get to here or like <laughs> The logistics of this, I'm not exactly sure, but I don't know. We could have fun messing around with that for a long time. <laughs> I think we'll end it here. Um, it was a nice little chapter, the port key. Uh, it was a small chapter. I think it was another, you know, 10-page chapter yeah. or something like that. Uh, the next chapter, chapter 7, uh, Bagman and Crouch, that's a big chapter. So be prepared for a massive episode next week. Julie will be returning for that. So I will. We will leave it here. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts a Pod.